0: الحمد <تصفيق> لله، Bismillah. <laughs>
1: There, <laughs> <laughs> Hazrat Fifth, bin al-Sayyid stated The name of the first Badri companion that I will mention today is Ubaid. His full name was Hazrat Ubaid bin Abu Ubaid Ansari Osi According to Ibn Hisham he belonged to the Banu Umayyah clan of the Aws tribe Hazrat Ubaid participated in the battles of Badr, Uhud and Khandaq alongside the Holy Prophet ﷺ. There are no further details available about him. The name of the next companion is Hazrat Abdullah bin Numan bin Baldama. Hazrat Abdullah's grandfather's name is reported as Baldama or Baldama. Hazrat Abdullah bin Noman belonged to the Banu Khunas clan of the Khazraj tribe of the Ansar. Hazrat Abdullah bin Noman was the paternal cousin of Hazrat Abu Qatada. He had the honor of participating in the battles of Badr and Uhud. The name of the next companion is Hazrat Abdullah bin Umayr. Abdullah bin Omer belonged to the tribe of Banu Jazara. He participated in the Battle of Badr. In one narration, his father's name has also been reported as Abd instead of Umair. Similarly, some have reported his grandfather's name as Adi and others have stated it as Harissa. Ibn Hisham has reported his tribe as Banu Jazara. Ibn Asaq, on the other hand, has reported it as Banu Harsa, both of whom are historians. The name of the next companion is Hazrat Amr bin Harith. Hazrat Amr belonged to the tribe of Banu Harith. Some have reported his name as Amr and others recorded as Amir. His title was Abu Nafi Hazrat Amr accepted Islam in the early days in Mecca. He participated in the second migration to Abyssinia and he had the honor of participating in the Battle of Badr. The name of the next companion is Hazrat Abdullah bin Kaab. Hazrat Abdullah bin Kaab belonged to the Banu Mazin tribe. His father's name was Ab bin Amr, while his mother's name was Rubab bin Abdullah. He was the brother of Hazrat Abu Layla Maazini. The name of one of the sons of Hazrat Abdullah bin Kaab was Haris, born from Zubheba bin Aw. Hazrat Abdullah bin Kaab participated in the Battle of Badr. The Holy Prophet ﷺ appointed him as the supervisor over the spoils of war at the occasion of Battle He further enjoyed the honor of being appointed as the supervisor over the khums, i.e., the spoils of war, during other occasions as well. Hazrat Abdullah bin Kaab participated in all the battles alongside the Holy Prophet, ﷺ, including the battles of Uhud and Khandaq. Hazrat Abdullah bin Kaab passed away in Medina during the Caliphate of Hazrat Usman in 33 Hijri. His funeral prayer was led by Hazrat Usman. According to some reports, he also bore the title of Abu Yahya in addition to that of Abu Hadith. The name of the next companion who I shall mention is Hazrat Abdullah bin Qais. Hazrat Abdullah bin Qais belonged to the tribe of Banu Najjar. In most of the books of Sirah and history, his grandfather's name is reported as Khalid. However, in At-Tabqaat al-Kubra, his name is written as Khalada. Hazrat Abdullah bin Qais' son's name was Abdul Rahman and his daughter's name was Umairah. The name of their mother was Sawad bint Qais. Apart from these two, he had another daughter by the name of Umm Hazrat Abdullah bin Qais participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud. According to Abdullah bin Muhammad bin Amara Ansari, he was martyred during the Battle of Uhud. However, according to another tradition, he was not martyred during the Battle of Uhud and participated alongside the Holy Prophet ﷺ in all battles and passed away during the Caliphate of Hazrat Usman. Discrepancies can at times be found within the books of history, and therefore I mention them as well. The name of the next companion is Hazrat Salama bin Aslam. Hazrat Salama bin Aslam belonged to a tribe of Banu Haritha bin Harith. The name of his father was Aslam. According to one narration, the name of his paternal grandfather was Harish. Whereas, according to another tradition, his name was Haris. He was known by the title of Abu Sa'd. The name of the mother of Hazrat Salama bin Islam was Sawad bin Rafi. Salama bin Islam participated alongside the Holy Prophet in all battles, including the battles of Badr, Uhud, and Khandak. He imprisoned Sa'id bin Ubaid and Nu'man bin Amr during the Battle of Badr. Hazrat Salama bin Aslam was martyred during the Caliphate of Hazrat Umar in the Battle of Jisr which was fought at the river bank of the Euphrates River. I have already mentioned the details of this battle in the previous sermons. It was a fierce battle fought between the Muslims and Persians. It is called Jisr, which means a bridge, because a bridge was constructed with the river and the Muslims used it to cross into the opposing territory. In this battle, the Persians utilized elephants that were trained for war. Nevertheless, both sides suffered heavy losses during the battle, especially the Muslims. Considering the different narrations in relation to his demise, it is stated that he was approximately 38 years old at the time of his demise. In Sirat al a well-known book by Allama Nuruddin Halabi, some miracles of the Holy Prophet ﷺ during the Battle of Badr are mentioned. And it is stated that during the Battle of Badr, the sword of Hazrat Salama bin Aslam broke. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ gave him a branch of dates and told him to fight using that As soon as Hazrat Salama bin Aslam grasped hold of this branch it turned into an outstanding sword and this remained with him thereafter In Sharah Zarqani and dalail Nabuad, is written that on the day of Badr the sword of Hazrat Salama bin Aslam broke and he was left without any weapon the Holy Prophet ﷺ gave him a branch and told him to fight with it. Upon this, it turned into an outstanding sword, which remained with him until he was martyred on the day of Jisr. In relation to the Battle of Khandaq, Ibn Sa'ad writes that on the occasion of the Battle of Khandaq, Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa was the flag bearer of the Muhajireen and the flag of the Ansar was held by Hazard Saad bin Obama. The Holy Prophet sallam, appointed Hazrat Salma bin Aslam as the leader over 200 men, the p- battalions that had gathered under these various flags. Hazrat Salama was appointed as the leader over 200 men and Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa was appointed as the leader over 300 men. They were assigned the duty of guarding Medina and continuously reciting Takbir aloud. The reason for this was that the children were kept in the area of Banu Qurayza for safety reasons and this place was susceptible to an attack. An attempt was made to assassinate the Holy Prophet sallallahu In relation to this, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib writes, The recollection of their disgraceful failure in Ghazwa of Ahzab inflamed the Quraysh of Makkah. Naturally, this heartfelt rage had come mostly to the lot of Abu Sufyan, who was the chief of Makkah, and had been especially humiliated during the expedition of Azab. For some time, Abu Sufyan continued to burn in this fire of rage, but at last, the matter became unbearable, and the hidden flames of this fire began to flare up. Naturally, their greatest enmity, rather the actual enmity, was towards the person of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. For this reason, Abu Sufyan now thought that if no results had come about through outworldly strategies and schemes, then why not put an end to Muhammad ﷺ By some hidden scheme. He knew that there was no official security around the Holy Prophet. Quite the contrary, at times the Holy Prophet would come and go and walk the streets and alleys of the city completely unprotected. He would come to the mosque at least five times a day for the Salat and remained free and accessible whilst travelling. What better opportunity could there possibly have been for an assassin? As soon as this thought came to him, Abu Sufyan began to secretly consolidate his plan to assassinate the Holy Prophet when he was fully determined to carry out his plan. One day, Capitalizing on an opportunity, he addressed a few young men of the Quraysh with similar interests, saying, Is there no brave man among you who would secretly go to the streets of Medina and kill Muhammad? Do you know that Muhammad freely roams the streets and alleys of Medina? This is how he incited them against the Holy Prophet These young men heard this news and quickly flew off. Not many days had passed when a young Bedouin man came to Abu Sufyan and began to say, ''I have heard your proposition. One of the youths may have informed him and I am willing to do this. I am a strong-hearted and mature individual.'' whose grip is severe and whose strike is sudden. If you appoint me with this task and assist me, I am ready to set out in order to kill Muhammad. I have a dagger which shall remain like the hidden wings of a wild vulture, i.e. he will keep it hidden. I shall attack Muhammad and then run to join a caravan, and the Muslims shall not be able to catch me. Furthermore, I am also very proficient in the streets of Medina. Abu Sufyan was overjoyed and said, Enough, enough, you are the man we seek. Then Abu Sufyan gave him a swift camel and bid him adieu with some provisions, emphatically reminding him not to disclose this secret to anyone. After having departed from Mecca, this man moved towards Medina, hiding by day and travelling by night. He reached Medina on the sixth night. Ascertaining the whereabouts of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he went straight to the mosque of the Banu Abdul Ashil, where the Holy Prophet was present. Those days, new constantly visited Medina. So no Muslim became suspicious of his intentions. But as soon as he entered the mosque and the Holy Prophet ﷺ noticed them approaching him, he said, This man has come with an evil intention. Upon hearing these words, he began to move towards the Holy Prophet ﷺ even faster than before. However, Usaid bin Hudayr, a chieftain among the Ansar, immediately sprung forward and clung to him. And during the tussle, his hand fell upon the man's hidden dagger, whereupon the man screamed out in fear, My death, my death. When he was subdued, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inquired of him, Tell me truthfully, who are you and with which intention have you come? He said, If my life is spared, I will tell you. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, Yes, relate the entire account truthfully and you shall be forgiven. Upon this, he related the entire story to the Holy Prophet ﷺ from beginning to end. He also told the Holy Prophet ﷺ of the reward had been promised to him by Abu Sufyan. Thereafter, this individual stayed in Medina for a few days and then out of his own will became a Muslim and thus entered into the service of the Holy Prophet. ﷺ. This bloody conspiracy of Abu Sufyan made it even more incumbent than before to remain informed of the plots and intentions of the people of Makkah in order to know what are scheming. As such, the Holy Prophet sallam sent two of his companions, Amr bin Damri and Salma bin Aslam, the companion whose account is being related, towards Makkah. Considering the assassination attempt of Abu Sufyan and his past bloodthirsty schemes, the Holy Prophet permitted his companions to put an end to this war enemy of Islam, if the opportunity were to arise. However. When Umayyah and his companions reached Makkah, the Quraysh were alerted, whereupon these two companions set back to Medina, fending for their lives. On their way back, they found two spies of the Quraysh, whom the chieftains of the Quraysh had sent to ascertain intelligence on the movements of the Muslims and to acquire information of the Holy Prophet It would not be surprising if this scheme was also grounds for some other bloodthirsty conspiracy of the Quraysh. Perhaps they sent these two individuals to try and kill the Holy Prophet heaven forbid, through some sort of scheme. However, it was by the grace of God that Umayya and Salama learned of their espionage, upon which they desired to attack and imprison them, but they fought back. Consequently, in battle, one spy was killed, while the other was taken prisoner and brought back to Medina. There is a disagreement amongst historians with regards to the date of this expedition. Ibn Hisham and Tabari have recorded it in four Hijri, but Ibn Sa'd has written it to be in six Hijri. Alama Kustalani and Zulqani have given precedence to the narration of Ibn Sa'd. Analyzing all of these narrations, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad concludes Therefore, I have also mentioned it among the accounts of six Hijri. Indeed, Allah knows best. Bahiki has also supported the details of the account mentioned by Ibn Saab. But from this account, one cannot establish the period in which it took place. The following account is in relation to Hazrat Salma bin Aslam on the occasion of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Hazrat umm Amara amala relates, On the day of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, I was watching the Holy Prophet ﷺ while he was seated and Hazrat Ibad bin Bishr and Hazrat Salama bin Aslam were standing guard of the Holy Prophet and both were wearing steel helmets. When Suhail bin Amr, who was an emery from the Quraysh, raised his voice, both of these companions told him to lower his voice before the Holy Prophet ﷺ. This is a notable service of his which has been recorded in relation to this event. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Uqba bin Usman. His mother's name was Umm Jamil bint Qutbah. And Hazrat Uqba bin Usman belonged to the Banu Zuraik tribe from among the Ansar. Hazrat Uqba and his brother. Hazrat Saad bin Usman had the honor of taking part in the battles of Badr and Uhud. It is recorded in the various books of history that when the battle of Uhud intensified, both Hazrat Uqba bin Usman and Hazrat Saad bin Usman fled temporarily from the battlefield and took refuge for three days on a mount opposite Ahwaz Ahwaz was an area situated a few miles from Medina when they both returned and presented themselves before the Holy Prophet ﷺ and informed him about this the Holy Prophet ﷺ said "Lakad ذهبتم i.e. you both ran towards an open plain in any case, the Holy Prophet ﷺ forgave them and overlooked their error and did not investigate this matter any further. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Abdullah bin Sahal. Abdullah bin Sahal belonged to the Bani Zaura tribe who were confederates of the Bani Abdul Ashel. It is also reported that he was Ghassani. According to some narrations, Hazrat Abdullah's name has also been reported Alayd and Rafi. Hazrat Abdullah's mother was Thawba bint Tayyihan, who was the sister of Hazrat Abu Al Haytham bint Tayyihan. Hazrat Abdullah was a brother of Hazrat Rafi bin Sahal, and took part in the Battle of Badr. His brother, Hazrat Rafi, also took part along with him in the Battle of Uhud and Khandaq. Hazrat Abdullah was martyred during the Battle of Khandaq when an individual from among the Banu Awaf tribe caught him with an arrow. Mughira bin Hakim relates that he asked Hazrat Abdullah whether he participated in the Battle of Badr. Hazrat Abdullah replied, Yes, and I was also part of the pledge that took place at Aqaba. The following account is recorded in Subulul Huda, a book on the life of the Holy Prophet in relation to Hazrat Abdullah's participation in the Battle of Hamraul al which is situated around eight mosques from Medina. Hazrat Abdullah bin Sahal and Hazrat Rafi bin Sahal were two brothers from Banu Abdul Ashra tribe. Upon returning from the Battle of Uhud, they were both severely injured. However, Hazrat Abdullah had sustained more injuries out of the two. When they heard about the Holy Prophet's instruction to go for battle of Harul Asad, one of them said to the other, By God, we should be greatly deprived if we were not able to take part in this battle alongside the Holy Prophet wasallam." They were both injured. But despite this, they had an intense passion and strength of faith. They then said, By God, we do not even possess any means of transport, and nor do we even know how we can secure any means of transport. Hazrat Abdullah then said, Come with me and let us go on foot. Hazrat Rafi responded, By God, I do not even have the strength to walk owing to my injuries. Hazrat Abdullah then said to his brother, Come along, we shall walk slowly and head in the direction of the Prophet. Thus, they both set off staggering along the way. When Hazrat Rafir would feel extremely weak, Hazrat Abdullah would carry him on his back, and then after a short while, they would again start walking. Thus, despite having sustained more injuries, Hazrat Abdullah would carry his brother on his back, and they would continue heading towards the Holy Prophet. He would become so severely weak that he would at times not even be able to move any part of his body. They continued to walk in this way until they reached the Holy Prophet ﷺ in the evening. At the time, the companions had camped for the night and were lighting a fire. They both came before the Holy Prophet ﷺ and that night, Hazrat Ibad bin Bishr was standing guard of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. The Holy Prophet inquired as to what had prevented them from coming, and both of them informed the Holy Prophet of their situation. Upon this, the Holy Prophet prayed for them both and said, If you are given a long life, you people shall witness for yourselves that horses, donkeys, and camels shall be granted to you as means of transport. Today you have walked here with such struggle, but if you live long, all those means of transport will be granted to you. However, along with this, the Holy Prophet also stated, but you walking here whilst undergoing such pain and struggle will be far better than these means of transport that you will be granted. The raw dancing of this will be far greater. What was the Battle of Hamraul Asad in which these companions followed after the Holy Prophet? Hazrat Mizab Shia Maslai has written some details regarding the Battle of Hamraul Asad, which was an expedition that took place whilst the Muslims were returning from the Battle of Uhud. After the Battle of Uhud, This night was a night of great fear in Medina because although the army of the Quraysh had apparently taken to Makkah, it was apprehended that this move may be a plot to catch the Muslims off guard. Although they had been victorious at Uhud and it seemed as though they were heading to Makkah, however, the Muslims said that this may be the strategy of the Quraysh and suddenly returned to attack Medina. (coughs) Hence, on this night, an arrangement was made for security in Medina, for safety concerns owing to this apprehension, and the companions particularly stood guard all night long at the residence of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The next morning it was discovered that this apprehension was not the speculation, because prior to Fajr Salat, the Holy Prophet ﷺ received news that the army of the Quraysh had stalled at a few miles from Medina and a heated debate was taking place among the chieftains of Makkah that making use of this victory not attack Medina. Some of the Quraysh were taunting one another saying, You did not kill Muhammad, nor did you take the Muslim women as slaves, nor did you seize their wealth and possessions. Rather, when you gain dominance over them and receive the opportunity to destroy them completely, you just left them and turned back so that they may collect their strength again. There is still time. Let us return, attack Medina and uproot the Muslims once and for all. In contrast to this, the others argued, you have attained victory. Consider this to be good fortune enough and return to Maqab, lest we lose this repute as well, and this victory is turned to defeat. Now if you return and attack Medina, the Muslims shall indeed fight with all their strength, and those who did not participate at Uhud shall come forth in the field of battle as well. Ultimately, however, the opinion of the passionate ones prevailed and the Quraysh prepared to set back to Medina. When the Holy Prophet was informed of these events, he immediately announced that the Muslims should prepare. But along with this, he also ordered that except for those people who had participated at Uhud, no one else should set out with them. As such, the warriors of Uhud, most of whom were wounded, tied up their wounds and betook to the company of their master. It is written that on this occasion, the Muslims set out with such joy and zeal as if they were a triumphant army which sets out in pursuit of the enemy. After travelling a distance of eight miles, the Holy Prophet ﷺ reached Hamra al-Assad, where the dead bodies of two Muslims were found laying on the plain. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that these were the two spies whom the Holy Prophet ﷺ had sent in the footsteps of the Quraysh. Upon finding an opportunity, the Quraysh had executed them. The Holy Prophet instructed that a single grave be dug, and both of the martyrs were buried together. Now that it was evening time, the Holy Prophet instructed that camp be set up at this very location. He further instructed that fires be lit at different places throughout the plain. As such, in no time, Five hundred fires were lit in the plain of Hamra al Asad, which struck awe into the heart of any spectator from afar, so that people going past would assume that it was a vast army which had up camps at different places. Most probably on this occasion, an idolatrous chief of the Khazar tribe named Ma'bud presented himself before the Holy Prophet sallam, and offered his condolences for those who had fallen at Uhud, whereafter, He continued on his way. On the following day when he reached Roha, this is a place which is situated approximately 40 miles from Medina. Lo and behold, he found the army of the Quraysh encamped there and that preparations were underway to return towards Medina. Ma'abad went to Abu Sufyan at once and said, What are you about to do? By God, I have just left behind the army of Muhammad at Hamra al-Assad and never before have I seen such an awe-inspiring army. They are so passionate due to their regret for the defeat at Uhud that they shall reduce you to ashes on sight. Abu Sufyan and his followers were so awestruck by these comments of Ma'abad that they abandoned the idea of returning to Medina and made haste to Mecca at once. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ received news that the army of the Quraysh had fled manner, he thanked God and said, This is the awe of God which he has struck into the hearts of the disbelievers. After this the Holy Prophet wasalam, remained in Hamra al for another two or three days and after an absence of five days he returned to Medina. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Utbah bin Rabia. There are varying opinions by historians in relation to which tribe Hazrat Utba belonged to. According to Ibn Haq, Hazrat Utbah bin Rabia was a confederate of the Banu al tribe and belonged to the Bahara tribe. However, according to some other historians, he was a confederate of the Aust tribe. In any case, he had the honor of participating in the battle of Adr and Uhud. Allama ibn Hajar al-Asqanani states that the name of Utbah bin Rabia is found among the names of those Amirs, i.e. leaders, who gathered for the battle of Yarmouk. He states that according to him, Utbah bin Rabia referred to this very companion. The details of the Battle of Yarmouk are that upon returning to Medina from Hajj in 12 Hijri, Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu sent the Muslim armies towards Syria in the early part of 13 Hijri. Hazrat Amr bin As was sent towards Palestine and similarly he instructed Yazid bin Abi Sufyan Hazrat Ubaidah bin Al-Jarah and Hazrat Shirah bin Hassanah to go to Tabukia via al qa the northern area of Syria. Initially, Hazrat Abu Bakr <laughs> appointed Khalid bin Sa'd as the Amir but later replaced him with Yazid bin Sufyan. They left for Syria with an army of 7,000 men and the various Amirs took their armies towards Syria. Heraclius himself marched to Hims, and prepared a large army from the Byzantine forces. He appointed a leader for each of the Muslim leaders. Some of the Muslims, who were not so strong in their faith, saw the size of the opposition and were overcome with fear because the Muslim army was only 27,000 strong. In light of these circumstances, Hazrat Amr bin As instructed for everyone to gather at one place because despite being few in number, it would be harder for the enemy to overcome them since they were comparatively small in number. Therefore, by staying together, it would make it difficult for the enemy to gain victory over them. He stated that if they remained in separate armies under each of the appointed Amis, then none of them would be of any use to the others because huge armies had been assigned against each of the smaller units of the Muslim army. Thus it was decided that all of the Muslim armies would gather at Yermuk. This in fact was the same suggestion that was sent to the Muslims by Hazrat Abu Bakr as well in that they should be one army and fight the opposition. He also told them, Become the helpers of God, for God Almighty grants help to such a one who seeks to help him and destroys one who rejects him. The enemy will never be able to overcome you just because you are in number. Hazrat Abu Bakr Anhu <laughs> sent a message saying, Even though you are fewer in number, you will never be defeated if you remain faithful and united because you are fighting in the cause of God Almighty. He further stated, If 10,000 or even more supporters of evil rise against you, they will certainly be overpowered. Do not worry about your inferior numbers, because if you are 10,000 or even more than this, and your opponents instigate evil and are wrongdoers, they will surely be defeated. Therefore, safeguard yourselves from sins, purify yourselves, become united, and fight together in Yermuk. Every single commander from among you should offer prayers with their infantry. The Muslims encircled the Byzantine army from Safar 13 Hijri until al Thani but they were not successful. Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu <laughs> then ordered Hazrat Khalib bin Walid to travel to Yarmouk from Iraq as reinforcement. Hazrat Khalib bin Walid was the governor of Iraq at the time. Before his arrival... All the commanders were fighting on separate fronts alongside their respective battalions. Upon his arrival, Hazrat Khalid bin Walid advised the Muslims to elect one emir, i.e. leader, to lead them. Subsequently, everyone chose Hazrat Khalid bin Walid. It is stated that the total number of soldiers for the Byzantine army was between 200,000 and 240,000, as opposed to the Muslim army, which was between 37,000 and 46,000. In comparison, the size of the Muslim army was almost one-fifth of the opposing army. The condition of the Byzantine army was such that the feet of 80,000 of their soldiers were shackled, and 40,000 were chained together. This was done so that they had no way of turning back and had no choice but to fight or die fighting. A total of 120,000 were chained so that they would not be able to do anything but fight and die on the battlefield. 40,000 men had tied each other with their turbans. On top of that, there were 80,000 riders and 80,000 soldiers on foot. A number of priests had travelled with the army to incite them to fight. It was during this battle that Hazrat Abu Bakr fell ill in Jumadi al-Ula and passed away in Jumadi al ukra To Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Hazrat Khalid bin Walid divided the Muslim army into 36 to 40 men. But everyone was fighting under one commander. Hazrat Utbah bin Rabiya was the leader of one of these groups. Hazrat Khalid realized that the Muslim army was fewer in number. However, owing to this tactic, to the enemy it would appear that the Muslim army was greater. The eminence of the Muslim army can be gauged from the fact that among the ranks, 1,000 men had physically seen the blessed countenance of the Holy Prophet. 100 of the companions were such that they had participated in the battle of Badr alongside the Holy Prophet A brutal and fierce battle ensued between the two armies. During this time, an emissary from Medina came with certain news. The cavaliers stopped him to which he said that all was well. However, in reality, he brought the news of the demise of Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu. The emissary reached Hazrat Khalid and quietly notified him of the past Hazrat Abu Bakr and also informed him that he had not told any of the soldiers outside of this news. Hazrat Khalid bin Walid took the letter from him and placed it in his quiver, for he feared that if the news spread to the army, it is certain to cause disorder, and the Muslims may not even engage in battle. Nonetheless, the Muslims remained steadfast and fought valiantly until the evening, at which point the Byzantine army began to flee. In Dizbel, over 100,000 Byzantine soldiers died, compared with a total of 3,000 Muslim casualties. Among those martyred was Hazrat Ikramah bin Abi Jahal. At the time, the Byzantine emperor was staying in Homs. As soon as he became aware of the he immediately fled from there. After the victory of Yarmouk, the Muslim army quickly spread throughout Syria, capturing Kanisarin, Antakya. Jummah, Sirmeen, Tezin, Korus, Tal Azaz, Zaluk and Raban, among other places. The mention of the companions comes to a close for today and perhaps they will resume now after Ramadan, God willing as Ramadan will begin from next week. After the prayers, I will lead a funeral prayer of respected Sahib Zadi Sabiha Begum Sahiba, who was the maternal granddaughter of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib, the son of the Promised Messiah, She was the eldest daughter of Hazrat Mirza B. Ahmed Sahib's eldest daughter and Hazrat Mirza Rashid Ahmed Sahib was the son of Hazrat Allahu Maud and Umm Nasir She passed away on 30th of April at the age of 90 whilst at Tahirat Institute To Allah we belong and to him shall we return. In relation to me, she was my maternal aunt. Hazrat Mirza Rashid Ahmed Sahib was the son of Hazrat Mirza Sultan Ahmed Sahib. And as mentioned earlier, the deceased was the daughter of Amatul Salam Begum Sahiba, the daughter of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib. Sabiya Saiba's wedding which took place in Rabwa, was the last wedding within the family of the Promised Messiah that Hazrat Ammajan attended. Sabiya Saiba was the sister of Hazrat Saida Asfa Begum Saiba, wife of Hazrat Khaliptul Masih IV Rahimahullah. Aside from her, there is another sister and three brothers. Sabia Saiba's sister, Anisa Fozia Saiba, writes. Since she was the eldest sibling, our parents would give importance to her opinion in all matters. Owing to her insight and intelligence, our parents trusted her, and in turn, she always repaid that trust. She looked after her younger siblings, and she tried her best to ensure they had a good upbringing. She further writes. When a marriage proposal came for me for one of the sons of Hazrat Muslim Maud Hazrat Muslim Maud himself stated, "This is a good family. Both of my daughter-in-laws belong to this family. One of the daughter-in-laws was the deceased who I am speaking about, and the other was the wife of Hazrat Khalib the Masih the Fourth, Rahimahullah." Hazrat Muslim Al stated, Two of the sisters are my daughter-in-laws. They are very loving, and ensure that the family remains closely attached to one another." Sabia Saiba's son writes, My mother was a very simple person who would always look after the poor and was always ready to help everyone. She would always care for those in need and would show compassion to the poor. She was a friend to the destitute and upon hearing the issues faced by those in need, she would be moved to tears. She would help them to the best of her ability. There is no exaggeration in this and indeed these were her qualities. She would show kindness to all those that worked for her one of Sabiya Saiba's daughters has written how she treated her workers just like her own children. When one of her workers was about to get married, she requested her to prepare jahiz, i.e. the bridal dowry, in the manner she had prepared her own daughters. She then prepared her jahiz accordingly. She is survived by three daughters and one son. She was also a musia, and after her funeral yesterday, she was buried in Bahishti Makbara. May God Almighty enable her children to continue her pious deeds and may they live happily with one another. May they always remain attached to the Jamaat and Khilafat.
0: Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, الحمد wa nastahinohu wa nastahfirohu wa n'uminu bihi wa بالله wa min مَنْ يَهْدِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ فَلَا اللَّهَ رحمكم اللَّهُ اللَّهُ إن الله يأمر بالعدل والleysان وإتباع القوام وينهى عن والمنكر والبغي يعزكم وَادُوهُ يَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ وَلَا ذِكْرُوا